Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've brought Landra back. We are going to be talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And, okay, what's the real story behind that? And does it have something to do with the day of Pentecost, maybe? Maybe? I don't know. We'll find out. But before that, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the last few episodes we've done up to episode 50. If you guys are interested in seeing the other project that I have running, you can go to www.unresolved.news. It will be up and running, and or it is up and running. And my goal is to expose the the news through a biblical worldview. And a lot of people may or may not like that, but that's kind of where God's leading me in that in that project. So you can go check that out uh, if you want to follow what I'm doing. Like I have a newsletter, and I have some other things coming very uh, soon in that regard. So I will keep you up to date as things move forward. So enough housekeeping. Landra, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be back. In dealing with the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, can you kind of give us a, a, a overview of what we're dealing with and why in the world us Christians should even be concerned with it or what we should bother with? The Feast of Tabernacles is a picture of um, the ultimate return to the Lord, and it's a picture of him tabernacling among us within us now and then in the future and even in the past. So it is definitely something to to look at and focus on and see Yeshua in. Because, I mean, we already have him dwelling inside of us. I mean, that's what happens when you become a Christian, right? Where did the feast originate and how, how, does it, how did it start? That kind of thing. It, it points to the 40 years in the wilderness that the Israelites walked in the wilderness. The feast is also called Sukkot or booths, feast of booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. And that is translated to sukkah. And that means a hut or like a pavilion tent. This term came from when um, in in Genesis 33, when Jacob made a cover for his animals, it was Genesis 33, 17. And he made a cover for his animals, a sukkah. But in the wilderness, what they did was they all lived in tents. It was a temporary time for them. They all knew that this was a temporary time, that the promised land was ahead, but they had to walk through the desert and live in these temporary dwellings, of which every part of it, the Lord provided. I mean, he provided the wood for it, the branches for it, the dwelling the tents for it. I mean, everything was provided by God. And so they knew that they were living temporarily in a building that was provided by him. And he also provided all of their food and of course, living water. And in addition, he also provided a covering for them. Uh, Aside from the atonement covering that we know of that we talked about last time, but the cloud. So that, that all, that was all provided for them. They were perfectly protected and, and um, cared for these 40 days in the wilderness. 
And so to commemorate his faithfulness and his provision. There are a lot of different thoughts that kind of come to mind as you're talking. I'm reminded where in the New Testament, uh, Jesus says, um, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Um, And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and get you. If we're talking about just a very temporary dwelling, to me, it kind of speaks of a symbol of, yeah, this we're stuck here for a little bit, but we're not. Uh, this isn't our home. We know this. Believers know this for sure, that this is a, a temporary place for us. I mean, we are but breath. We're but a breath. All these fees point to the final day, the final time, our, our heavenly home, our, our true home. Um, the place of which we are an ambassador. You know, we've also been talking about the wedding and um, how Day of Atonement was the wedding day, if you will, for the bride and the king and where it will be. Well, there is a, a great wedding feast that will take place, and that is during this time, the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, let's press into that because it's very funny that you bring that up because uh, I was talking offline with someone about the marriage supper of the lamb and, 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 you know, she was saying that there's a lot more to learn about that. And so can you kind of press into that a little bit more? Can we talk about like, how does that relate to, to this feast of tabernacles? We have this call to re- to, for the bride to prepare herself. That was the feast of trumpets. Then we- uh, and that was 10 days before the wedding day, if you will, the day of atonement, the judgment day. Right. Then after the wedding day, there are five days between the wedding day and the wedding supper, the wedding feast. And that is the time when the bride is with her groom alone. And then they come out and they feast. They feast for seven days. Um, and it is a time of uh, we're actually commanded to be joyful. It's actually a command to be joyous during this time. I mean, he wants his son, the Lord wants his son and his bride celebrated. And it's a time to be joyous. So we are to celebrate this time for seven days. And then there is actually commanded also an eighth day set aside. Um, and then there is a ninth day. I'll tell you all about that if you want. But I mean, it is just, uh, it's a time of celebration and it's a time that we will be celebrating and it's going to be the, the rest, a, a picture of rest with our beloved. If we are going into the marriage supper of the lamb, which hasn't happened yet, obviously, along the time clock, what period of time are we in? Well, right now we are nearing, as far as prophetically, we are nearing the call of the trumpet uh, for for everyone to return to the mm-hmm. Lord. Is that what you're talking about? Like where are we prophetically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're. Lo- we are still between Pentecost or, or Shavuot, okay, and the Feast of trumpets. We are still kind of in that time period, but I believe we are very close to the Feast of Trumpets (laughs) that is nearing. Do you think that that trumpet will come before uh, like what some might term a preacher of rapture or, or, or do you think that that kind of pans out another way? Um, There's a lot of 
course, different thoughts on that. I'm actually more of a mid, mid-trib gal, only because I've kind of been studying and it seems, you know, in Egypt, um, they had the 10 plagues that they went through, but the Israelites only went through three of them. The last seven uh, were for the Egyptians. I mean, that's, it didn't affect the Israelites. And now the death of the firstborn uh, did not affect the Israelites if they had the blood applied. So I, I think that there is definitely tribulation coming. I think we're going to be going through it. But I believe also that the trumpet will sound not too much into it. You know, I think we'll, we'll have to go through some of it, but I don't believe we'll have to go through all of it. It's funny, uh, the uh, church that I attend currently, they are very, 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 and did I mention very much into the pre-trib model? We are not subjects of wrath. We are not children of wrath. Therefore, we will not go through it. That's pretty much their argument. And it's funny because we are currently studying Revelation at the moment, and I am like, okay, I can agree with this on some levels, but there are some things where I'm kind of going, I'm not so sure. And that's led to many a uh, boisterous conversation. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, everybody has their opinions, but um, as I've been studying more and just li- listening to different rabbis and pastors who know Hebrew, and I, I just see it more of, I mean, we will definitely be going through it. I mean, we're supposed to suffer because. Yeshua said that it's going to happen. We we will suffer, and we're going to be like mm-hmm. him. You know, we have to suffer. Right. I could I could go down further down that rabbit trail, but that's not the point of this. I, I was just kind of curious. Um, I may ask you some more questions about that, like offline. But getting back to this thing of tabernacles and and the feast itself. So, how does this feast play out in the New Testament? Because I know. You mentioned the day of Pentecost. Is the day of Pentecost, uh, is that like a separate deal from these feasts or when does that fall? Uh, Pentecost is a feast. Um, It's called Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. And that takes place before the Feast of Trumpets. When you and I started speaking about feasts, we actually started in the fall feast. Um, The Pentecost is considered a spring feast, the last of the spring feasts. Um, and prophetically, that has already happened. That's when the Holy Spirit was released and we received uh, the uh, living Torah on our hearts. That's when it came down on our hearts. And, then, and in fact, it was the same day that it was celebrated in ages past. I mean, it, that's why all the Christians were gathered and why all the Jews were gathered in Jerusalem during what we know as Pentecost with Peter, because um, they had counted 50 days from Passover, Pentecost. They had counted 50 days, just like they're supposed to. And uh, according to the the spring feast, Shavuot, which is the same thing as Pentecost. Okay, so they counted 50 days, and they were all gathered together, just like they are supposed to be, they're commanded to be. and then they received not the not the word on tablet form on stone like received back with Moses but they received the word on their hearts and it all happened that very same day 
I mean, everything lines up. It, it's it's uh, spectacular, amazing, just plain wonderful. Um, so, yeah, that all happened. So we we now have the Holy Spirit of God within us. That is, we are the temple. We are the tabernacle, if you will, of God. So that's the connection there, for sure. If God is 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 abiding with us or tabernacling with us or whatever, and we have him, then it seems to me that we have the ultimate opportunity going back to where you were talking about where the uh, during the, the uh, Yom Kippur or uh, Day of Atonement, it seems to me we have the ultimate advantage, you know, because we have the Holy Spirit of God, and then you have the, the Holy of Holies simply being open to us. And I'm not so sure that we fully understand exactly what that means. Well, uh, we have to also keep in mind that we're still in the desert. We're still in the wilderness. We've not quite reached the promised land yet. We're, get, we're getting there. We're, we're almost there. But we do have, just like the children of Israel had the, the Torah with them, right? Well, we have it also with us, but it's written on our hearts. But we are still not in reigning with our, with our betrothed. We're not there yet in, in that physical form. Now, he, yes, he tabernacled among us. Yes, he is with us. Yes, he works through us. But we are still all returning to the Father. You know, the whole goal is to return back home. That is, he wants us all back home. In Hebrew thinking, it is all, everything is cyclical in a cycle. And you, you see it over and over. You see the stories over and over. Every story point brings about the, the picture of the Passover, leaving Egypt. You know, let's get out, the salvation. It's, it's all in so many of these stories, very cyclical. The father is a very, very good teacher. He's not going to teach us once and just forget it. He teaches us over and over and over and over. But we have a Greek mindset where we think, all right, we learned it and now we're, we're going and we've never been there before. Okay. And we've, we've never like seen this stuff before, but he teaches us over and over. That's what the point of the feasts are. It's like a dress rehearsal for what's, what's ahead. In fact, we will, we will actually be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in the future, you know, in, in the, during the thousand-year reign, I know for sure. But uh, it's in uh, Zechariah 14, 16 through 21, um, talks about the nations going, all the nations going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They will be required to. You know, that's an argument I have with many people is, Okay, if, if he wants us to celebrate the feast in the past, if he wanted us to do that, and if he wanted, wants us to do it in the future, but he, then why wouldn't he want us to do it now? You know, so, but that's a side argument. But anyway, there is this um, practice that we have. And over and over again, we, are, we have this dress rehearsal for the, for the future, for what is really to come. What is interesting also is, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, there's an eighth day, and then there's a ninth day, the, the, and a, new, a new day. Eight means renewed, eight, the number eight. So you have the day after that, I, I call it the ninth day, but the day after that is the first day again. Okay, so on that day, 
on that first day again, all across the globe, those who follow Torah return back the scroll from the end of Deuteronomy all the way back to Genesis 1.1. And we start studying again and we go through all the feasts again. But in Genesis 1.1, the first letter is a bet, B-E-T, bet. And that letter means house. So it's all about a house. It's all about returning to the Lord's house, the King's house, the Father's house. And so we're actually practicing going back. We're trying to get back there. He wants us to keep practicing of going forward, getting back, taking everybody we can back with us. So it is all about returning to the Father, returning to his house. And someday we will be in that final house. In Hebrew thinking, when, when Jesus says he's going away to do this, did the Hebrews automatically make a connection that, wait a minute, he's speaking like a marriage supper or a bridegroom? Well, his followers did, for sure. I, I, I don't know if the others who didn't believe in him, if they, if they saw it, but it is a true picture of a wedding supper. I mean, that's what the groom does. He goes away. Once they're betrothed, he goes away. And he prepares a home for his bride. And a year later, he comes back and gets her. So, I mean, that is the picture of the wedding. That's one of the pictures. And it seems to me that, so when Jesus is coming back, he's just coming back to fulfill that tradition. Yes. Yes. The whole study of a Jewish wedding, I mean, that's a beautiful study in itself. And and that is... That's what we're looking at. If you want to know what's coming ahead, just look at a traditional Jewish wedding and you'll see. <laughs> this, is, this is what's ahead for us. You know, he's going to come back and get us. There's going to be a judgment, which is actually going to be then the wedding. He's going to say, yes, you're my bride. This is my bride. We will marry him. We will spend time with him. Then we will have a huge feast celebrating each other. And celebrating the return to the Father. And we will bring all the nations as well. All the nations will come and celebrate. They will come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I cannot imagine what it would be like to spend time with him in that way. I I just, I mean, to actually spend time with my Lord uh, for a long period of time face to face. I cannot get my, my mind wrapped around that one. Well, I know. I mean, it is so, we only see, this is but a shadow, you know, we, we only, he's giving it in pictures that we can understand, but I mean, this is beyond us. This is, this is a promise that we eagerly await. And and then we will celebrate in the new kingdom with him. I mean, forever, this will be new again. We celebrate these feasts as a picture of him coming. And those who don't believe in Yeshua, it's a picture of what they believe is the Messiah coming back for the first time. And of course we see it as the Messiah returning for us, the conquering King coming back for his, his bride, you know, his betrothed. He's going to sweep us away. It's beautiful. You know, and we get to practice it over and over. It's just, it's just a dress rehearsal for a wedding. If he is tabernacling with us now and he's still awaiting the bride, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb later, how should we then prepare? Well, we have to continue to 
make ourselves ready, you know, the, the time for the wedding is, is still coming. Mm-hmm. And we want to make ourselves ready for him to continually just be ready for him to, uh, to align ourselves with him. You know, he, he does not take a bride that looks nothing or acts nothing like him. I mean, think about, you know, the king and queen royalty, right? I mean, they're going to uh, align themselves with each other and with the, the rules of the kingdom. And they're going to walk in that. They're going to walk in that authority and they're going to walk in that majesty. And if we don't know anything about the kingdom that we're, we're getting ready to rule and reign over, and he says we will do that, we will rule and reign with him. If we don't know anything about this kingdom, you know, we're, we're in a sad situation. We, we need to know about this kingdom. We need to make ourselves ready. We need to align ourselves with the king and prepare and, and make ourselves ready, just like with the oil and the lamps. It's, it's coming. We wait for the trumpet sound. It's coming. But until then, we just continue to make ourselves ready and then help others who are screaming for readiness. They know, they long for something other than what's here. And so we, we have to help them. Um, the Lord showed me one time of um, Rachel crying out in the dark wilderness for her children to come back. And we have to go out and, and bring them back, hear their sobs and, and bring them back and mother them and mother them to the kingdom. I mean, that is, that is our role. You know, I'm reminded of where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like, I mean, yes, we are to wait eagerly for his return. But as as I recall, one of his biggest things when he talks about in his parables is, you know, he, the master wants to come back and find his workers doing the work. So we are, we are to go and, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. But he only he only commanded two commandments, right? Well, two commandments, and they hang on all the law and the prophets. So they they include all of the the Torah. I don't know how to love anybody unless I see it in black and white. I don't know, and I see it in the Torah, I really don't. And I don't know how to love the Father unless he tells me how. You know, I can come up with it on my own, but I don't know for sure unless I read it. And the Holy Spirit within me, you know, tells me. But a lot of people would argue we're not under the law. We're under grace. And, you know, Jesus never said to obey the law. But he said, those who love me keep my commandments. And his commandments were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he also, through all the New Testament, I was reading the other day, over a thousand commands, just just command, just talking. And of course, he was pointing all back to the Torah, which, by the way, is, I mean, he is the word. He is the word. He is the living Torah, the living word within us. So pointing people back to him. And it's, it's, this is our directions, our, our instructions for living. So we kind of need it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. I can see that. It's just, I find it funny how like everything kind of links together and lines up. And yet 
so many of us and 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 I'm not even talking to the non-believer at this point, but so many believers are kind of missing a couple of links in the chain. Yes. Well, but that's and that's what we've we've been taught. You know, we've been taught that none of this, none of the Old Testament really applies to us. It's nice for us to look at it as history. I mean, that's how I was raised. But you don't need to go there because we're not under that anymore. I I have learned since then that, uh, well, if he gave me commands to follow, do I follow them subjectively? Oh, okay. Well, I know how I'm going to love. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to love this person in this way. Well, and that should be acceptable to the Lord. Okay. So we, we are undermining his authority and placing our own authority of what love is and saying, all right, Lord, this is, this is uh, what, what I'm doing. This is what I call love. And you're needing to accept this because I'm not under the law anymore. It has to stay objective because he is just, he is holy. And I need to know how in the world to love others. I need to know how how to love him. What does he require? You know, and most Christians follow most of the Torah. They just don't know it. You know, they they're they're actually the, you know, they've been keeping up the Torah this whole time. They just don't know it. You know, one of the biggest arguments that I hear is we are to follow God's moral law, which is usually found in the Ten Commandments, yada, yada, yada. But we don't need all that ceremonial stuff. Once Jesus did what he did, all of a sudden, we're, no, we're not really subject to that. Well, there's no longer a, a temple, at least not for right now. So those, those laws are not applicable at this point. And the laws for the high priest, well, who is our high priest? So there's really about 200 and 60 or 230, something like that, commands that are left. And those are things like, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't sleep with your mother's who knows what, you know, I mean, (laughs) right. Really, we, we try not to do that. You know, we, we, we've pretty well maintained that there's some that we haven't been keeping. um, But I believe the Lord is revealing those as well. And that's the Holy Spirit, and it's all in His timing. And He is—he is bringing us back. He's opening eyes to that. And it's—I mean, this is evidence of it right now. You said something earlier on in the show, and I'm just—I—I I feel like maybe we need—we need to kind of pause here for a minute. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles took place when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. I mean, in general, yes, we are, but there may be someone who's going through a really, really rough patch would you have something that you would say to them i mean because i mean they may be just going through just some really gnarly stuff going on right now and they've got their own wilderness and it's not a general wilderness at all it's real right up close to home there's something to be said about living in a wilderness where the lord provides all you need and that's where we are we try to take on our own provisions we try to provide you know, our own safety and our own this and our own that. And we've, we've forgotten that we're actually under the Lord's care. He provides living water, which is his word. And it's also Yeshua. I mean, he, 
he brings forth a spring of living water and he provides the food. He provides uh, the covering. He provides our clothes that never wear out. And I'm, I'm saying this literal and, and figurative, but, you know, there is one that is greater than us. He is promised to be with us and to protect us. And he keeps us holy, separated out for us. His name is at stake. His name is at stake. Moses pointed that out to him often. We can cry out to him, our provider, the one who has set us apart, and to cry out for him for for help. And he does that. He covers us with his his wings. He hides with us. Um, He provides whatever shelter we need. Um, And he'll feed us, even laying in bed sick. I mean, he spoon feeds us him. And he allows us to drink freely from him. So there is this time when we may feel completely just lost in a desert, but he springs forth living water. I mean, there was a, the the water came from the rock the whole time. That's the picture where we are. And, you know, Jesus, um, during the Feast of Tabernacles in John, on the last day of the great feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, this is John 7, he, he stood up and when the priest was pouring the, the libation ceremony, pouring out of the water and wine onto the altar. They did this every day. And he stood up and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I mean, can you imagine our Savior standing up in the middle of this feast? And he says, he shouts, because it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I mean, that's what he's saying. You know, there, there is one that provides, um, that quenches our thirst. There, there is one that feeds our hunger. There is one that dresses us and clothes, clothes us in robes of righteousness. And it is our salvation. Yah's salvation. Yehovah's salvation. Yahshua. That's what salvation means. Yah, salvation. And it is him. And in Isaiah, Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In Hebrew, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of Yahshua. Okay, that's seriously cool. It really is. That is seriously cool. It, it really is. Uh, what they would do, I mean, the, the feast is involved, and I don't know how much time we have remaining, but there is a part of the, the feast, it's a daily part of the feast, where um, each morning the high priest would go out of the temple courtyard and he would go to the Pool of Siloam, which is, is uh, also means, it sounds like Shalom, right? Pool, pool of Peace, Pool of Peace. But anyway, the Pool of Siloam, that's, of course, where um, Jesus healed in John 9. Oh, okay. Right. I follow. All right. Now, they return to the temple. They, they dip this golden pitcher every day. They dip this golden pitcher into this pool okay, that healed. Like he used this. They thought that this pool of water healed. So they, they filled up with this uh, water that they called living water. Must have been from a spring or something. And another priest carries willow branches behind him or in front of him. And these willow branches represent the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
right? They knew the Holy Spirit. They knew the Spirit of God. It was upon David. It was upon other people, right? They knew this. And so they would welcome the, the Holy Spirit. But the welcome, the, the wind, that was what the wind represents. So they would walk back. Oh, and there was a, another one with them, another priest. And he would um, play a flute. And he was called, you ready? The, mm-hmm. the pierced one. Uh, figure. I know. Wow. But uh, he was calling for the wind and the water to enter the temple. So they were they were preparing for this water to come back. And what they would do is they would pour this water at the same time pouring wine. Okay, so you remember blood and water, right? And blood and blood and blood and water flowing from Yeshua from the cross. Okay, so they're mixing blood and water on the altar, and they do this seven every day. Of the, the, of the feast. And this is the moment when Yeshua stood up. I mean, he, it was, I would have loved to have been there. Maybe we'll get a rerun in heaven, you know, but he said, if anyone's thirsty, you come to me and drink. And of course he's going back to the Isaiah 12 with joy. You will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. It, it, one thing that, that, that talking with you about these feasts has done for me is show me that Jesus wasn't just some wordsmith tossing out ideas for, uh, for the sake of tossing out ideas. Everything he did referred back to one of these feasts. Yes. And the, it all referred back. He referred everything back to the Torah or to the prophets. He explained himself. He proved himself with the law and the prophets you know, it, it, it is, it's beautiful. And to see the connections that Yeshua brings out that we've really not seen until now, we've just been blind to it and you just can't get angry over it. You just have to accept it and walk on. And you just, this is part of the enemy's plan. And, you know, we, we are, we are receiving sight with this and we're sharing with everyone we know and we're moving on. We're moving toward home again. That is seriously cool. It is. That is seriously cool. Well, I think we are going to, you know, I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, But Landra, it has been a pleasure and you are welcome back anytime uh, to, you know, talk about, you know, whatever that God is showing you, wherever you want to go. We can always come back and, and dive in and let's see what God does. Amen. There's just so much to this feast. Um, So maybe for the listener, if they, want to study more on the waving of the branches. That's the connection to Passover. Um, that all takes place during this time too. You're commanded to wave branches. You're commanded to build up t- uh, temporary sukkah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this is also what they believe to be Yeshua's birthday. So there is huge things that, you know, to talk about, but it's also something to just dive into. And I'll include that in the notes if you'd like. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.